Welcome to the Mo Podcast. A place where individual stories come to life. This is how we need to be communicating with people. This is how we support people's personal development. It's important to speak about people believing in people. The more you're able to let go of your limitation, the more you step into your power, your inner authentic power. Mo, a place for me, others, everyone. Hello and welcome back to the Mo Foundation podcast. Now I'm super excited to introduce this one. Alex is going to be talking to the wonderful Natalie Tucker today and they're going to be sharing all sorts of insights and wisdoms into their own coaching businesses. We're also going to hear from Natalie about her journey to becoming a digital nomad, which is a really interesting perspective when thinking about working with clients and the fact that we are moving to a slightly more global world. They'll be touching on the benefits of accountability and self-compassion and what was important to Natalie when she first started or embarked on her coaching journey. Enjoy. So huge welcome to the fantastic Natalie Tucker, who's going to be joining us for this episode on the Mo Podventures. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you, Alex. Good, good to be here. Nice to see you as always. And would you introduce yourself by telling us a little bit about who you are without referencing a job title, your age, or your relation to anyone else? Mm, yes. So it feels like there's so many different things that you could share when asked the question that way. Um, I guess I'm someone who loves variety. I... I feel that life is short and I want to make the most of the time that I have. Mm. And more recently also recognize the importance of energy and wanting to use the energy that I have wisely. So I try to be really thoughtful about how I spend my time and energy. And that means doing work that I enjoy and that hopefully serves a purpose and spending quality time with family and friends learning new things, exploring different places. Um, and I feel immensely privileged to live the life that I live and to be able to choose the work that I do and how I do it and would love to see that for more people too. Fantastic. Thank you, Natalie. And now give us a, an overview of your portfolio career in this moment. Mm. I'm glad you said in this moment, because I definitely find that it's something that is in constant evolution. Right. Um, and something that I often find difficult to distill into mm -hmm. a succinct um, description, actually. So, But I'm going to give it a go. And um, so I work as a consultant, a coach and a community builder right now. And um, so my consultancy involves working mainly with impact driven organizations and initiatives and it is focused on helping them to define, measure and maximise the social impact that they have. And that typically involves co-designing and delivering a lot of training and some leadership development programmes. Um, I work alongside that. I do some work as a coach. And in my coaching, I also tend to work with impact driven leaders. And so that could be social entrepreneurs, charity CEOs, startup founders. Um, people who tend to be overworked and under-resourced, whose work can be very lonely and high pressure and, and who might not have invested in their 
personal development or support systems before. So I see that as a space where coaching is like hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to community building, I have, um, so for the past couple of years, I've been a part-time digital nomad, which means that I spend several months of the year elsewhere in the world. And that means that I don't have community in the traditional place-based sense. I don't feel a strong connection to a community in the place that I am, or I'm not consistently in the same place. Um, So that got me thinking a lot about what do I need and what do we need in general in terms of community and connection. And so I spent a lot of time last year exploring that for myself and talking to lots of other digital nomads about what it meant for them. And I'm, I'm building a community that will hopefully meet those needs for other people like me. Brilliant. Thank you for a really comprehensive overview. Um, you said you spend several months of a year away. How do you choose which months? Hmm. Good question. It tends to be um, the greyer months in the UK. Like One of the things, yeah. one of the, my motivations for traveling is to be somewhere with better weather. Um, and for me, that's about blue sky. It doesn't have to be really hot, but daylight and blue sky make a difference to how I feel in my days. Um, so I tend to travel in the autumn and winter. Sometimes I find myself traveling at other times of year when I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to. So last year I spent June, May, June in Sicily and it was far too hot for me. It probably yeah. wasn't the optimal time to go there, but it was when I could go there. So that's how it worked out. Okay, so an element of following the the weather and the blue sky, an element of when feels right or can be done. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and with that portfolio career, how do you structure your work week? And feel free to be either really, really specific and go into, well, I work this many hours or this many days, or feel free to be really vague and um, just give us some mysterious hints. Mm. So I find it easier to think about structuring my work on a year, on a yearly basis or a seasonal basis rather Mm. than a weekly basis, because a week in January could be completely different to a week in July. Wow. Um, And that's partly because some of my work is project work. So it has, um, they have cycles and periods of time when I'm going to be really busy and periods of time when I'm less busy. So for example, generally I find that January to March are really busy months for me Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of organizations are using their budgets up at that time. So suddenly there's work around for consultants. So I might work full time January to March and just be really head down and really focused. And um, when it comes to July and August, I find I have less going on and I'm a lot more flexible. Um, I try to have, uh, so So I guess one thing that I can pick out in terms of my weekly structure is I don't have a consistent routine okay. that, that, that lasts throughout the year. One thing that I do try to be consistent about is having some flexibility in my weekly routine. So I never... I, I very rarely would I be at my desk nine to five Monday to Friday. That's that's not a structure that works for me. Um, so some of the things that my weekly structure does involve is going out for a walk in the middle of the day, making sure I'm getting daylight, 
and getting some exercise, clearing my mind and being able to take time out during the traditional working day. If, for example, something going on with family, like I want to pick my nieces up from school or take them to their swimming lessons. Mm. I really value being able to do those things and not not feeling bound to a schedule. Um, And so and I feel really lucky that the amount of work I have that ties me to a schedule is a relatively small proportion. It's say maybe maybe 20 percent of of my week is I have to be available at a certain time because I'm talking to someone at that time. Brilliant. Thank you. What you're saying about how a week in January can be different from a week at a different point of year immediately put my thought to this idea I've heard about how humans are animals and like all animals have seasonal rhythms or seasonal kind of changes or characteristics. Have you heard of this idea? That's really interesting because I haven't heard it expressed in that way but I've noticed it coming through in the last few years Um, and in a way that I didn't used to think about in my working Mm. life when I was when I was in employed roles it felt it feels very much like there's a structure there for you and you you exist in that structure now that I have the option to choose how I structure my work myself I think I am a bit more intentional about it and yeah I I wouldn't say that I'm explicitly linking how I work to seasons but there's definitely an element of seasonality around it and sometimes it can be I think there's something around winter being a time for hibernation and so there's something sometimes I might think okay I'm going to be kinder to myself yeah. Um winter is a time when we might naturally be t- more tired um, when we're not getting the, the vitamin D that we need and that kind of thing. So there's something around being kinder to ourselves at tougher times of year. Um, but also sometimes it's a case of, well, the weather's terrible and I'm not going anywhere, so I'm going to get as much work done as possible so I can enjoy the rest of the year. So, so there can be a seasonality to it, but not always in the way that you might expect. Yeah, and just for anyone that's unfamiliar with that idea, it kind of runs with, or at least for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, far away from the equator, Mm. that's like in the autumn, you might be storing up your reserves to use them in a nesting capacity or like a hibernating capacity in the winter, using spring to grow new things or to pour your energy into building or growing uh, new things and summer to be enjoying the fruits of your labor in the spring and to be enjoying life, I guess. I think that's my understanding of summer. Um, So there's kind of a rough outline of the idea. And I've heard it spoken about in terms of coaching and people bring it into their coaching practice and supporting their coaches by encouraging them to reflect on, for example, how in winter they are, like you say, taking a bit of extra care of themselves or maybe how in spring it might be, um, yeah, making space to to build or, or grow something new or let new ideas flourish. And um, we're just at the very start of the year, but we're also kind of approaching midwinter. Um, just on that idea, does that, you, you've spoken about treating yourself with extra kindness. Is there anything else that comes up for you in this moment or anything that you recognize you're doing in this period that feels like it ties in with those ideas of seasonality? 
Yeah, I think I think the new year is naturally a time uh, for me of looking ahead mm. and thinking about what's coming next and planning ahead. Um, I took some time yesterday to pause before I allowed to do myself to, myself to do that and to reflect on last year and um, to acknowledge, yeah, just to remind myself what are all the things I did, what were the um, you know, what did I achieve work-wise? What did I learn about? What did I enjoy? What did I find challenging? What did I overcome? So to do that reflection to really acknowledge last year and, and what I did. Um, and I think it's really important to have those moments where we do that because so often, certainly for myself, I'm in doing mode. Like I'm constantly doing. Mm-hmm. And it, my natural tendency is planning and looking ahead. So it'd be really easy for me just to carry on doing and doing and doing and looking ahead. And I got huge value from stopping and looking back a little bit. Um, So New Year is definitely a time when when I find that useful. I also, I mean, maybe that's a seasonal thing for me as well, is that the start of a season, the start of any season is a bit of a time of reflection and renewal for me. And I I find that really helpful. Mm. Yeah. That's really beautiful, and I, I feel like so many of us under under celebrate. You know, we spend a lot of time doing, a lot of time planning, and uh, we maybe don't spend as much time celebrating the wins and what we have done. And I, I heard this recently, and it landed really powerfully with me. Someone on social media talking about the self development or self improvement industry, and how there's so much talk about self development, and that for as humans, we need to be matching the amounts we're putting into that self-development with the same amounts we're putting into self-acceptance, accepting where we're at, accepting our, our flaws, accepting our unique challenges, accepting who we are, where we are now, rather than who we might want to be or what we might think we are able to become. And I feel like that's such a beautiful pairing. And this third part that you've just shared the celebration feels like a like a really nice triangle and it's these three things together that make up um a really wholesome and balanced view of the self or way of approaching life mm-hmm. yeah like as you say that i'm wondering what's the point in investing in our personal development and putting time and energy into improving ourselves if we never stop and acknowledge yeah. <laughs> what are we doing well and yeah. Um, yeah. And if I had to put you on the spot and ask which are you best at, which is your strength out of um, improving yourself, accepting yourself for where you're at now or celebrating yourself, which would you say is your strength? Mm, I would say like learning is something I've always loved. And so, yeah, I'm I'm a lifelong learner. I spend a lot of time and energy on, on personal development. It's kind of effortless for me to always want to be learning something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- but I would also say that becoming a coach and particularly working with others has brought out a new level of acceptance for mm. me. So I am I am so much better now at the self acceptance piece than I would have been two or three years ago. Yeah, I often find myself encouraging my coaches to accept their challenge. You know where they're at with their challenges, accept their difficulties, accept emotions that come up in the work mm-hmm. yeah I think 
and just talking about this is making me think as a society where there's maybe an overfocus on that productivity, on that improvement, constant improvement cycle that we sometimes seem to seem to obsess over, and we maybe see that self celebration as being. Uh, egotistical or arrogant at times or um you know moving towards that direction when it can be just really beautiful and appropriate and that that self-acceptance for where you're at now i feel like can really be missing in society mm. um mm. yeah i definitely i definitely agree that we have a kind of striving culture and there's this sort of suggestion that we can always be like there's so much to learn right there's always more to learn and we could always be better mm. that is true um the flip side of that is that it can make us feel like we're not good enough as we are and I hear that showing up a lot in my coaching um and I don't think it serves us so so I think there's a balance to be had in accepting where we you know we can do both of those things we can accept where we are and, and know that we are good enough and want to learn more and improve yeah i agree completely we can never have too much acceptance and that's self-love um tell us where you were at in your life when you first learned or thought about coaching mm. so i first discovered coaching Probably, let's say seven or eight years ago, and I was working in a job that involved sort of doing some co-design and delivery of leadership development. And my colleagues in that work would often bring in coaching activities. Mm -hmm. So I would get to see other people doing these coaching activities with each other. And they were always so powerful. And I was, I sort of felt a bit envious. I was like, well, I want to do these programs. I want to experience that for myself. So that was my first introduction to coaching was kind of seeing it in action between other people and wanting a bit of it for myself. Um, and during that same period, I had a colleague who was training as a coach and looking for people to practice with. And I was working on a specific project at the time where I thought it could be really valuable. So I had some coaching from that colleague over several months and it was a really different way of being supported and um, working on something that was important to me. And yeah, I, I loved that. And from that moment was very much interested in coaching, felt like it was something that maybe I could have the skills for and, and wanted to, to do some of myself. Brilliant. Brilliant. What made you choose Mo as your training provider? Mm. So several things. I think I think mainly it's the ethos of Mo. So for me, Mo is all about making coaching accessible to everyone. Uh, it's got a quite a human focus on the coaching. A lot of coaching and coaching providers can feel quite corporate. And mm. um, uh, and. Yeah, that just didn't resonate with me so much. It didn't resonate with my context. I work with people often who are working in small charities. My world is not very corporate. My world is really about people. So um, Mo, from that kind of ethos and values perspective, really resonated with me. Brilliant. What's one of the things that stands out from the Mo course in your memory? 
for me, the most memorable thing about our course, and you'll know this too because we were in the same cohort, of course, uh -huh. um, was just the incredible sense of community that I felt with our cohorts. Knowing that every session I turned up to, I would feel like I was in a really safe and caring space that I could talk with the group about anything that was on my mind and and it would be accepted and it would be handled with care uh, it felt like an incredible sense of trust um that was built up among a group of people in really what was a relatively short period of time and i really really valued that it felt really special and it's funny thinking back to it now um, and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well because I've since become a Mo trainer, as have you. And so I get to see other cohorts going through the experience now. Yeah. And what I've seen is that many cohorts have that experience, that it, they do build a really special bond. And it's a it's an amazing thing to be a part of, um, which is interesting because it felt so unique when it was our cohort. Mm. And I don't think it's unique to a specific cohort, but I do think that it's something that's really special about Mo. Yeah. Yeah, it was really special on our course. And I did really feel that as well. And a huge shout out to Tony Phillips, who was running the training team uh, for that course and still runs uh, Mo courses, uh, as do Natty and I now. And I definitely feel like on the courses for whom I lead the training teams, we create that for participants, but I don't feel, and I hear from them and I, we receive their feedback that's very much in line with that, but it's seeing it from the other side of the fence. And I have a similar sense through the contracting that we do on the training team of, I know I'm going to be able to turn up and whatever I need as a, as a facilitator and trainer will be fine and my team will support me. But it's, but I don't feel as involved with the cohort. I feel like I'm creating that, that atmosphere or that space for them and holding that space for them but i feel like we've got our own space as, as in the training team which is very similar and equally cherished how about you yeah same i definitely think there's there's a separation in the trainer experience and the cohort experience and um but that's the amazing thing about being a trainer is being able to create that space and see that magic happen among mm. the group of people and yeah I I really love hearing that feedback when you hear someone talk about the amazing coaching session they had from one of their peers earlier that week or and the great empathy that they got from them or the real trust that they feel in each other I it's yeah such a pleasure to see other people experience that with each other yeah, and for those of you that are interested in Mo course, you can have a look on the Mo website, mofoundation.com. Under programs, you'll see the virtual and in-person courses that are running and how to sign up. Quick story, Natalie, something I remember of, of several cherished memories from a course, but this is just a random memory from a course. I remember Tony invited someone to come up and share something that they could use for a coaching demo. And it was me and I shared something that I was planning on doing. It was about taking my bike to a bike shop to get it fixed so I could be cycling. And I never did it. And I still feel 
<laughs> guilty at some level. You know, like I let down my accountability that I agreed to by setting an intention to do that action to take my bike to a shop. Since I have taken many bikes to local bike shops to get them fixed, but that one that I told Tony I'd do, I never did. And Tony, if you're listening, uh, part of that still li still lives in me. So the accountability was obviously really strong. Uh, yeah. You know what, Alex? I'm pretty sure Tony's let go of that. So I feel like you you probably can too. Thank you, Natalie. And thank you, Tony, in absentia. Um, okay, so you completed the Mo course. And I find this a really interesting moment. Directly after completing your qualification, what did you do? And I'm thinking like in the weeks, the weeks directly after that qualification, what did you do? Yeah. So I remember... I I think I asked a question in our final session and I asked another question in the Facebook group not long after. And the, the bit of advice that came back from Tony and from other members of the training team was essentially practice, practice, practice. Your mm. next steps after the Mo course, if you want to continue coaching, is just keep getting as much practice as you can and sort of don't worry about extra training. Don't worry about all the other things that you're thinking of right now. Just keep practicing. And so... That's what I did. I um, So on the Mo course, we have a, a regular buddy and changing buddies who we did coaching with every week. I carried on working with my regular buddy for a few months. So we had that dedicated space where we were both practicing with each other and we kind of knew exactly what each other was up to with that. I offered, co I offered coaching to my colleagues for free. I did some other pro bono and low bono coaching. When I look back, um, when I think about it now, I know that I could have been charging for my coaching at that point. Um, but I think because I didn't need to, because I had other work and my mindset was practice, 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 I did mainly um, pro bono and low cost coaching. And the other thing that I did and that I continue to do was use my coaching in literally everything that I did, like use those mm. skills. And at that time, I was working in one environment that I found particularly challenging. And being able to use those skills that I had learned and honed on the Mo course totally transformed how I was able to understand that situation and be in that situation and feel about it. So it was, yeah, hugely, hugely valuable to me at that time. Brilliant. Brilliant. I've never heard the term low bono before and I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. Thank you for that. You spoke about having a bunch of different um, streams to your portfolio career and about using coaching throughout them. Would you tell us a bit about some examples of where you're using coaching outside of specific coaching sessions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So I guess it's also worth saying that the other work I do, I see us being really aligned with coaching. So if we take consultancy, for example, my job is to understand where my client is with something to work with them to figure out where they want to get to and to help them get there. Very similar to coaching in many ways, right? Except in, in coaching, we might argue that my job is to help the client understand those things for themselves and work those things out for themselves. So 
two of the foundational skills for coaching that um, the Mo course does a really great job of instilling in people uh, good listening and asking nice open questions. Those two skills are so useful as a consultant because I want to get a sense of where's my client right now? What's going on? What do they need? Where do they want to get to? So a lot of my early work with clients is, is exactly those kinds of conversations that we might have in coaching, asking questions about what's going on right now. How would, what would you like to be different when you're successful? What will that look like? Um, getting understanding their world you know if somebody might be using language that I don't use in my everyday so I'm going to ask them tell me more about what that word means to you and so yes so those skills are incredibly useful for really understanding my clients figure and understanding where they need and what they want to get to and what I found is that often a client will come to me with a question and my first response to a question generally is to ask a few more questions to get a sense of what's mm -hmm. going on around that. And so often my client will answer their own question in the process of the discussion that we'll have about it. So what coaching has shown me is how often we have the answers to our own questions. And we often have this tendency to look outside of ourselves for, for answers when we don't really need to. And um, so what I found in my consultancy is I can use those skills to really understand what's going on, to get a really clear picture of what we're working towards. And I can use them to help build my client's capacity to answer mm. questions for themselves and not to depend on someone like me to come in and help them with things which I think is much more powerful than, than doing the work for someone. And um, so, yeah, so I just to say, that's how I found it really valuable in, in consultancy. Brilliant. Yeah. I feel similarly, like as coaches, a huge part of our role is to uh, prompt them not to, you know, sure to consider different perspectives, but, a large part of it is just to simply to encourage them to conjugate what they already know into words. And just in that simple process of it going from a thought into going through whatever speech um, speech processing we do into words already does so much for our awareness. And I feel like our ability as humans to develop that internal awareness you're talking about is really limited, which is why I feel like I'll always really benefit from having a coach because I don't feel like I'll, I don't feel like there's a huge amount of growth possible for me in my area of really listening to myself in that way. Or I feel like maybe that's something I find really challenging, but that when I have someone else to prompt me and often very little when I'm coached, I often do so much talking. I, I can really, I can really run. Um, but it's so powerful to have those prompts and to just be conjugating your thoughts into words and the awareness that comes up just from that is huge for me. Mm, yeah. So often in a coaching session, a client will say something and then they will say, oh, that's the first time I've said that, you know, and it's, there's something about saying something aloud, which feels different to thinking it yeah. in our minds 
um, and which forces us to kind of clarify what we mean um, and and think about what do I yeah you know what am I thinking there what's the word I want to use and to get specific so yeah I think there's real power in talking aloud and and being witnessed in that Mm, yeah and I also feel like it's if I was just to talk uh, aloud to myself it wouldn't have the same impact or I wouldn't make the same revelations which is interesting I definitely feel like there's something about involving someone else or someone else being holding that space for me or prompting me that allows it to go even further mm-hmm. and you spoke about the impact of the coaching course and how it's kind of changed the work you've done with consultancy how big was that change in your consultancy work comparing pre-course Natalie and post-course Natalie hmm. so I think I think I was probably still using a lot of the same skills. I think my natural tendency has always been towards a more coaching style of mm-hmm. asking questions and listening. I think what the coach training did for me was give me confidence in that, was show me this is a valid skill set and it's incredibly powerful. And yes, you can use it in that way. And it took off some of the pressure that I definitely put on myself before to always have the answers for my clients. I think as someone, you know, potentially as someone who fell into consulting by accident, if I'm honest, I did not set out to be a freelancer. I I found myself freelancing and I love it. I'm incredibly grateful that that happened. Um, But I never... went through a time when I said yeah I'm going to be a consultant I'm going to be really good at helping other organizations figure out what to do um it happened more more organically than that so I think it was easy for me to have a kind of uh, maybe feel a bit like a bit of an imposter as -hmm. an outsider to be advising organizations and so taking the pressure off and knowing hey I don't have to have all the answers I know I've got a great skill set that will help us get to some good answers. And yeah, it gave me more confidence in my work and it helped me see how I can add value without always having the answers. Brilliant. Brilliant. Let's talk a little bit about your remote work and you've spoken about moving fluidly around the world into different places and following that really enriching um, blue sky and um, there must be other benefits too. But how do you make those decisions to choose to go away? What voice are you listening to? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, a bit like I became a consultant by accident. I sort of became a nomad by accident as well, if mm-hmm. I'm honest, and well, by chance. So if you were to tell me 10 years ago when I was sitting in a basement office every single day that I could do my work from Madeira, I would have thought you were crazy, but I would have jumped at the chance. Like it's something I always felt a tension between this obligation to be in one place versus my desire to be out exploring the world. And so, um, was the end of 2021 we were coming out of the pandemic restrictions were easing but work was still very much remote my work was 100% online and although some of my clients were sort of going back to some face-to-face work no one was expecting me to be available face-to-face and I thought ah maybe I should 
like take advantage of this situation while I can. And at that time, I just happened to have a conversation with a contact who I had recently met at a random Zoom event, who is a digital nomad, who was visiting a digital nomad project in Madeira. And she mentioned it to me. And I I really caught, it piqued my interest. And um, yeah, a few months later, I was there, basically, as soon as I heard about it. And I thought, this could be the time. I just went for it. So it's very much a case of I want to take this opportunity to do this while I can. And so my first trip was to Madeira, where I spent um, about 10 weeks um, at the end of 2021, enjoying blue skies, um, working, meeting new people, exploring new places and, and absolutely loved it. And I got back and I thought that was amazing. Um, and then maybe about six months later, I thought, hmm, no one no one wants me back in the in an office yet, so maybe I should do it again. And I so last year, last autumn, I spent time in Croatia and Greece. And by the time I'd finished that trip, my mindset had shifted from let's make the most of this while I can to how do I make sure I get to continue doing this? Like, I don't want to give this lifestyle up. So now I need to make sure that my work continues to enable this lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and that's where I am now. Brilliant. Thank you. And thinking back to that first trip, those 10 weeks in Madeira, what was the biggest challenge in that? Hmm. Gosh, that's a difficult question because I... I loved it so much that I don't know if I found it challenging. Mm. I I did my research before I went because I really wanted to know that, for example, I wanted to know that I would have a solid internet connection because I didn't want to find myself in a situation where I couldn't deliver the work that I had committed to deliver for clients. I knew that if I wanted to be able to do things like that, I needed to be able to do a great job. So um, so I did my research and made sure that I was going somewhere that I was going to be able to meet all of my work commitments. So so things that helped that, for example, were having a good internet connection, which is better in Madeira than the UK, by the way, which surprised me a lot since it's such a remote island. Um, but it was having my own private space. So mm. knowing that I would be able to do coaching calls, for example, in confidentiality. Um, time zone, knowing that I would be available at the right times of day and that I would be in a, you know, a healthy, awake state to work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I planned. And if I'm honest, I found it very easy. Brilliant. That's great. When life gives you a sense of ease and you follow it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And how... Has that sense of ease changed or how have other challenges come up as you've continued to live this lifestyle? Mm -hmm. So I've found that every trip is different and planning, I think, is quite important. And one aspect of the planning is to um, identify for myself what am I going to need during that period? So when I was in Croatia, for example, 
I I traveled around. I didn't stay in one place. Um, I could only do that because my workload was lower. So, so being really aware of what do I have on work-wise? What do I want from this trip? Is it about exploring? Is it about being based in a place? Will I will I want to have connection with other people? Am I going to be happy doing my own thing? So having a sense of what I want and need from a trip is really important. And then doing my research to understand, will I get that? Where will I get that? Where do I need to be to, to have those needs met? I think, um, and there've been times when I've probably pushed things a bit too far. So last spring, I mentioned I was in Sicily. I was traveling around then as well. And I was a bit busier with work than I had been when I did that previously and that was quite tiring it's a lot it's Mm -hmm. um so to be able to work at full capacity um to travel between places and then that desire to want to make the most of everywhere you are in Gao and see everything I had to I had to rein that in basically and say I'm not going to be able to see and do everything while I'm here so um what what Am I prepared to let go of? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think I put my, I challenged myself a bit more at the end of last year um, by going to Guatemala, which firstly is in a completely different time zone. Mm-hmm. So that was a new challenge. Um, I was only able to do that because I had reduced my workload right down. I didn't have a lot of work that required me to be online talking to people at a particular time um and the other thing that i did for the first time in guatemala was actually live with a community of digital nomads for a month where there was a lot of social activity um so that that was a challenge for me if i'm honest because i'm used to traveling alone and doing my own thing all of the time Mm -hmm. yeah and as a solo entrepreneur but also as someone who really enjoyed the sense of community that you had on the Mo course, would you share with us how peers, mentors or mentees have shown up in important ways along your journey? Mm, yeah. I actually think one of my favorite things about becoming a coach is the coach friends that I've made along the way. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've been there since the very beginning with Mo. Um, I picked up coach friends, maybe from each bit of training that I do. And even just colleagues that I work with in other settings who happen to be coaches. And there's something really great about having other coaches as friends. Um, Mm. um, So I've got a lot of benefit from peer coaching. Um, which is coaches coaching each other and mm-hmm. um, from the very beginning of the Mo course like that sense of solidarity of being in it together learning together being really open about the challenges of coaching and um, yeah experiencing that with other people I got a I got a lot from that in terms of my learning um, And I've kept in touch with a lot of the coaches that I've met along the way and continue to get that sense of not feeling alone, like feeling really understood and knowing that the challenges I face, other people face them too. And having people who are great listeners and have empathy 
to talk to about some of the challenges I face, whether it's in coaching, in my wider career or in, in life in general. Um, so I really, really value those peer relationships. Um, I'm part of something that we call a community of care, which is a group of myself and four other facilitators. Um, one of our group brought us together. She'd worked with all of us in different ways. Um, and we kind of meet regularly and chat about different issues that are coming up for us and just life as freelance facilitators. And I I love having that um, sort of support and solidarity with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's especially important if you're not, if you don't have a strong sense of team in your work. Mm. And to be fair, I generally do have a sense of team in my work, but because my workload, my workload is constantly changing, perhaps it's not a consistent sense of team. So it's nice to have that consistency from peers that are people that I'm in touch with because I want to be in touch with them, not necessarily because we're working together right now. Yeah. And for those um for those listening that don't know, no one would. Uh, but Natalie and I sometimes probably maybe once every other month we'll we'll have a half hour catch up and chat about coaching and what we're up to, projects. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, that's always felt really connecting to me too, as someone who's often or spent large parts of their career working from home, um, doing one to one coaching sessions with a so so solo business, um, has can feel quite disconnected or solitary. I've always really benefited from the peer peer relationships I've had. And I'm starting to point myself towards skills exchanges or to be a lot more open to the idea of skills exchanges. I'm learning piano at the moment and I mentioned a skills exchange with my piano teacher. I coach them and they give me piano lessons and neither of us pay anything. What experience do you have of skills exchange or being invited for skills exchanges or offering skills exchanges? Hmm. That's really interesting. I love that you're doing that with a piano teacher. I don't think I have done uh, coaching as a skills exchange. Hmm. I'm trying to think if I have, and I don't think I have. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's really common for there to be coaching exchanges between coaches. I've got one at yes. the moment, yeah. incidentally, with another person called Alex. I coach them one week, they coach me the other week, neither of us pay each other, but less so between between other skills. And I, yeah, I, I regret that. I'd love that. I'd love that to be more common, more common and more accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think perhaps my biggest challenge there is the skill that I would exchange it for being someone who, and perhaps this is an intention I have for this year, um, is not very good at looking for help, (laughs) not Mm. very good at looking for another person to, um, yeah, offer me a service or a skill set that I don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So perhaps that would be an interesting avenue and, and a different way to think about how I might look for help. Okay. Yeah. And in that looking, let's say you're in a conversation with someone offering coaching up and they're really new to coaching and they say, Natalie, what's so great about coaching? What's the most powerful thing about coaching? What do you tell them? 
Mm. No one's ever asked me it that way, Alex, and I wish they would. <laughs> um, and also what I find is, um, what I find with some of these questions is we can talk about them, but there's you. I don't know if you can fully understand it without experiencing it. Mm. This is my challenge with describing coaching is that there's so many ways I could describe it to you. Yeah. Um, but you really, it, I, I think it's really difficult to understand without having personal experience of it. So, mm. I mean, I guess I would encourage people to give it a go, but for me, my, on my experience of being coached, the most powerful thing that I have gained from it is a sense of personal agency is recognizing that I have the answers within me and that I can and will find my way through things that I don't need to be looking outside for expertise and answers. I think there's something incredibly empowering about coaching, um, about leaning into your own resources and creativity to find a way forward and taking action, making commitments to yourself and taking actions and making things happen and knowing that you did it for yourself. And yes, the coach helped you, but they didn't do it for you. Mm -hmm. And when you leave that coach, you will still be able to do those things for yourselves. So coaching instilled in me a real sense of agency and recognizing that whatever situation I'm in whatever challenge I'm facing whatever goal I aspire to it is within me to overcome or achieve that brilliant and what you were saying about us not doing it ourselves us doing it ourselves although the coaches helped us made me think of how Darren um sometimes described Mo in that it's a leg up we're not not a hand up and you know, we're not pulling people up um, but we're giving them uh, a platform or a starting point slightly higher than, than they might have on their own to to push themselves up from. And I just thinking <clears throat> my coaching session this morning where I was being coached uh, by Alex, who I have a coaching exchange with, I had such a sense of happiness and bliss knowing that it was fully my space and I could just let anything out and I could talk to anything, and it was just all for me. There's a real strong sense of, wow, this is great that I've got this space that's absolutely all for me. It is such a luxury, honestly. Being listened to for an hour, it just doesn't happen in our daily lives, and I think that's mm -hmm. something I see trainees on Mo courses noticing in session one you know yeah. yeah there's this there's this moment where they realize I can't remember the last time I was listened to where I got to the end of my sentence um and and actually I noticed I've not been doing that for other people <laughs> our day-to-day -day ways of communicating are not geared towards giving people real space to explore things for themselves so yeah, I think coaching is such a luxury to me. And I love it when I have that moment when I know I've got a coaching session come up and I'm thinking about something and I'm like, oh, this is what I'm going to take to my coach. 
<laughs> I'm gonna give myself the gift of talking this out and going deeper than I would do myself like yeah yeah I joke that I'm turning my uh the person who coaches me into a relationship coach because often what I talk about are the relationships in my life um and yeah yeah it's great being able to take absolutely anything there okay here's a question I ask most of the guests what change would you like to see in the coaching industry or community yeah that's a really good question and so I think my biggest frustration with the coaching industry is is perhaps more about a small but loud proportion of the sector that's talk mm -hmm. about coaching mainly as a way to earn lots of money so there's a lot of marketing out there targeted at coaches that I started seeing all over my social media as soon as I was doing the mo course that is how to build a six-figure business as a coach or and um it feels it's not it's not centered on the client which for me is what coaching should be about. For me, coaching is about helping an individual get from where they are to where they really want to be. It's a very personal thing. And so there's something that yeah. feels, and, and that's not to say that you shouldn't make money from it. Of course, coaches need to, to make a living and it's an expensive skill to train in and maintain um, if you're really going to invest in yourself as a coach. So absolutely, if you want to work as a coach, you should be able to earn a living but it's the focus on coaching primarily as a means to get rich quick without putting an awful lot of thought into how are you helping people? What's the purpose you're serving mm -hmm. as a coach? So I think I do think coaching has a bit of a PR problem in that respect. I see I quite often see eye rolling about coaches mm -hmm. and interestingly in the digital nomad space there's a lot of eye rolling about life coaches you know people in their 20s who are going to tell me how to live my life which of course is not what a coach does at all if your coach is telling you how to live your life then that's they're not coaching <laughs> they're misusing the word coaching so I find that frustrating um, and there's no reason why someone in their 20s can't be an excellent coach um, with the right skills so I would love to see less talk about um, how coaching is a means to earn lots of money and more focus on coaching as an incredibly valuable skill set that any of us could use um, in our work or daily lives. Um, and yeah, coaching is a service that can be of huge value to us in many different ways. And, and it is mm -hmm. not about fixing something that that's not right yeah absolutely i agree that there's a real misconception about coaches being people who are gonna have answers and give and give you answers and i wonder how much of that is from people doing coaching in that manner that's more mentoring or that's definitely not pure coaching and how much of that is just a misinterpretation of the title with no prior experience of coaching yeah i i get the sense that it's a combination of both of those things mm -hmm. and it also doesn't help that coach is a word that doesn't necessarily have a clearly agreed definition so 
the kinds of coach that we might be more familiar with when we're growing up are sports coaches and they definitely do tell you what to do <laughs> so, yeah. so it doesn't help that there's this um lack of clarity around what a coach is um yeah but I do think there's that people I often find with with new clients as well that people come to you as a coach with an expectation that you're going to have answers for them and also sometimes maybe with a sense that as a coach you've got it all sorted like like a coach is is an expert who's doing all of these things so well that they can just dish out advice um and that that is not true you know we're not perfect like we're works in progress too right yeah 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 I still remember going on Tony Phillips's LinkedIn and feeling like it was uh, a real light bulb moment when I saw on their LinkedIn men describe themselves or maybe it was Darren Robson actually saw themselves describe themselves as a thinking partner mm-hmm. rather than coach and I thought I mean, it's really vague and like unclear, but what a nice way to not have to describe myself as a coach and get tangled up in all that stigma and all those misconceptions. And then, you know, thinking partner, human whiteboard, human sounding board. I think these are all from Darren were just very different ways to describe what we actually do as coaches that I found really liberating instead of having to come in on that sometimes problematic label of coach. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, there's definitely language that comes with fewer preconceptions around it. And talking about giving advice, as we come to the end of this conversation, what's a piece of advice you would like to leave our listeners with? Hmm. Yeah, what is a piece of advice? See, now you've put me on the back foot because as a coach, (laughs) (laughs) I don't tend to give advice. Don't hold yeah. off on advice. Um, I think advice that I would give to listeners is, especially if they are people who are considering training as a coach or who are interested in coaching, is around finding your own way. There's lots of messaging out there that can make us feel like this is what I should do as a coach. So I've got my certificate. Now I must come up with a niche, develop a beautiful website, charge a lot of money. You know, there's there are these messages out there that imply this is how you should do coaching. And I think that coaching is most rewarding when we find our own path with it. And mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean that, you know, if your path is create a niche, build a beautiful website, charge lots of money for it, great. But that's not everyone's path. And there's loads of other possibilities for how you can use coaching. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. We'll have another Mo Podventures episode coming out next month. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Alex. It's been a pleasure chatting as always. And yeah, and thank you. Thank you for being my coaching buddy. I really, really do appreciate that solidarity that we have. So welcome. Bye. Bye. Wow, what an amazing conversation between Alex and Natalie there. Such amazing key takeaways around looking after yourself through the stages of the year, whether that's hibernation like an animal does, um, and also just making sure that you're being compassionate to yourself um, throughout the seasons. I love the fact that Natalie is able to use her skills and take them all over the world and work from her laptop 
um, as long as she's got a stable internet connection. I also really enjoyed thinking about what a coach is and what a coach has been in the context of the wider world. So using new flavours of language and how we describe ourselves and what we do for people is really, really exciting. Maybe you can have a think about how you would describe yourself if coach wasn't a word. If you'd like to share your own personal story and some tips and tricks on your coaching journey, whatever that looks like, then please do get in touch with us because we would love to hear some more stories from the rest of our community. You can contact me at maisie at mofoundation.com. That's maisie, M-A-I-S-I-E at mofoundation.com. Thanks so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. Now, this is a message for anybody who thinks that life coaching might be the right calling for you, but you're not sure how to attract new clients. So on the 17th of April, we will be having our next Mo Digital Academy. Keely Vuong White, the founder of Kia Ora Coaching, is going to be talking to us about how to attract clients as a new life coach, a 90 minute long introduction to marketing. Now, she's had a fantastic life and has spent 15 years in international corporate marketing and has also learned a thing or two about setting up a business and she's also done her coaching with the Mo Foundation. So she's going to be running a fantastic workshop. We hope to see you there. If you're interested and you'd like to register then please find more information on our website that's mofoundation.com forward slash calendar. Thanks so much and we will see you there.